Hi. So tonight, um, I only have one goal. Um, and that goal is to speak about what, what I'm going to talk about tonight in such a way that you realize that there is only one thing that matters, and that is to pursue an intimate friendship with God. There's all sorts of other stuff that goes on in our life that distracts us from that one goal. But I want to, to teach you in such a way tonight that you realize how personally beneficial, but also how incredibly essential it is for you to know what it is to have intimacy, deep friendship intimacy with the living God, really knowing him. So I want to just encourage you tonight to be open to the possibility that your relationship with God is more important than your financial troubles. There are people here who are going through issues in their finances, and it seems like that's the only thing you can think about. You go to bed at night with your stomach in knots, you wake up in the morning not knowing how you're going to manage things. I've been in your shoes. I know what that's like. But you know what? God is more important than that. There are people here who are struggling in their relationships. You've got issues happening with your spouse or maybe with a significant partner. And you know that when you go to bed, am I, am I causing you guys problems here because I'm down here? I know I'm causing you trouble. Andy, is it okay? Okay, thank you. So some of you are struggling with your relationships and you're, you're thinking to yourself, I can't, how can I, how can I even think about talking to God or seeking God when all I can think about is the fact that I'm walking on tender hooks all the time. I'm ready to explode or he or she is ready to explode. Or maybe you don't even have a relationship and you're, and you're at the point where you're saying, God, what's going on? Why don't I have anyone in my life? And that's all you're thinking about. I understand that there is stuff that is happening in your life. All of us have stuff happening in our lives that will distract us, that will draw us away. But tonight, I want you to just be open to the possibility that pursuing this intimate relationship with God is more important and is more beneficial to you than the time that you've been spending worrying about those other things or focusing on those other things. Because the reality is that relationship changes everything. If you've ever been single and you have found a relationship with a person, and let's just assume all things being equal that it's a great relationship, okay? We're going to start from that place. So when you take a holiday, it's more fun to be on a holiday with that person. It's, it's way more fun to share an experience with someone than to do it by yourself. I've been single for 10 years. I love traveling by myself. I'm, I'm very independent in that way. I love doing things. But I can tell you that when I go and climb mountains in Scotland or when I go and, and visit the coast or, or something, I'm enjoying it, but I am wishing that I had someone to share it with. It's just better to have someone involved in the process with you. I'd rather be struggling through my finances or struggling through my relationships or struggling through temptation with Jesus than not. 
How many of us know people who have gone through tragedies or gone through horrible things in their lives and you think, I could not have gone through that if I had not had God in my life. We all know people who have gone through things without Jesus and we wonder how they make it. I know people, my grandmother, when my, when my grandfather died, my grandmother was suicidal. She didn't have the Lord in her life. She didn't have God, and she was on the 10th floor of her apartment building thinking of jumping because she didn't have any hope. And in that moment, the living God, Jesus himself, appeared to her, manifested himself physically in her presence. She got radically uh, born again in that moment and, and transformed our whole family as a result. But she didn't have any hope. With him, however, she was able to deal with everything that came her way. And life is just way too precious, too beautiful. He is too precious, too beautiful to try to think of doing it without him. Unfortunately, we often take for granted how good we've got it. All of us here, I'm assuming, have a relationship with God, or at least we're seeking after him. That's why we're here. But we forget sometimes just how good that we have it in life. This generation in particular has been programmed to want what we don't have. Television. Television. I don't own a TV, and this is one of the reasons why I'm glad that I don't own a TV. Because you're bombarded all the time with these ideas in, in advertising and in TV shows that tell you it would be so much better if you had that. So you're focusing on what you don't have rather than what you do have. It stirs up a sense of dissatisfaction in you. And it's not from God. You need to celebrate what you do have. You know, I see this all the time. Um, I was, um, for the last six years, I was student pastor out at the university. And uh, I, all, I can't tell you how many times I had students come to me over the course of the year. Auntie, they're dating or they're going out with somebody. And they thought it was so good. And then someone else came along. And they just thought, well, they dipped their toe in that other little well and it didn't work out and then the relationship that they had that was good is no longer because they messed it up by going and checking out the grass on the other side of the fence of course that happens pastors get that all the time in 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 marriages couples coming in to see them and infidelity takes place because they just figure that they take their eyes off what they've already got for a little bit and it destroys everything because they forget how good they've got it we say that at weddings sometimes we see people um, when couples are together. And uh, I remember when I was uh, at one of the couples from here that got married and this young student, um, they were both former students, and uh, she's just a real knockout. And uh, I remember him getting teased. People were saying, boy, you have really married up. And the reality was that it was a, a, people were looking at him and saying, do you know how good you've got it? Do you, do you realize what you've got in this woman? And how often do we not know how good we've got it? We have to be reminded of how good we've got it. It's really cute because uh, I've got uh, a picture. My son, when he came here for the first time, I remember him saying to me, Mom, what is it about pastors? Because um, our Canadian pastor, this was the same as well. What is it about pastors? They're just you know, pretty average guys, and they marry these knockout wives. So I want to, this is our pastor. Yeah. <laughs> since, since they're not here, I, I get to do this to him now since he's not here. So this, this, is, this is our goofy Pastor Barry. And uh, 
And this is, this is who he married. Oh, she's, she's just as goofy. <laughs> this is what they really look like. Well, I mean, they really look like that too. But next one. Obviously, they're both gorgeous. But the fact is that when Pastor Barry looks at his wife, I know for a fact that he tells her all the time and affirms her all the time that she's a babe and she's wonderful. But the reality is that so often we forget how good we've got it because we take it for granted. You know that expression, familiarity breeds contempt? It's the same thing that we, we see, we forget what we've got and we, and we forget to treasure what we've got. The reality is that God is good, really, really good, <laughs> really, really good, and he's perfect in every way, and all of you belong to him. How does that happen? How does that happen? I mean, we've messed up, all of us. Every one of us has messed up in some way, and yet he's attached himself to us. This amazing God, this phenomenal, loving, kind God has attached himself to you and me because he says, you're worth it. He's looking at you and saying, I value you. You are worth it. Are we doing the same with him? Are we saying the same to him? We are the apple of his eye. We're his friend, his beloved. And yet I can't count the number of times that I have taken that for granted of knowing who he is. Tonight, I want to look at, um, I'm talking about the, the topic is, uh, or the title is called, Where Are You Hiding? But I'm, I want to talk from, about this whole idea of taking things for granted from Psalm 73. And it's written by this guy named Asaph. Asaph wrote a dozen different psalms in the book of Psalms. You want to put it up, Andy? There we go. Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I lo almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. So he starts off by saying, okay, let me just say right off the hop, God is good. God is good. I know this. I know he is good. But in spite of the fact that he was so good, I found myself almost slipping I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. Why? Because I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Keep going. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. Is that the last one? Ah. What does God know, they ask. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease, while their riches multiply. You know, in the very beginning where it says that they will have prosperity, in that verse 3, that word for prosperity is the word for shalom, the Hebrew word shalom. I mean, seriously, God? This guy Asaph is saying, look, okay, I know you're good, God. Everything about you is good. But 
look at this. The wicked, you're giving them shalom? Shalom means nothing is missing. There's nothing broken. Every need is being met. And God is giving that to the wicked? He's saying, look at all the stuff that they're doing. They, they defy your name. They behave in ways that are wicked. And yet, look, they're healthy. They're fit. They're strong. There's nothing wrong with their lives. What's up with that? What's going on here? Is it me, just me, or is there anyone else here who's had these kind of moments when you think to yourself, you're looking at the news and you see maybe it's a politician, maybe it's an actor, maybe it's a movie star or a sports figure, and you know the life they're living is unbelievably not good. <laughs> like rampant with sin and bad behavior and, and, and evil choices and so on. And yet they're multimillionaires living in these fabulous houses, going on these great trips. And inside you're going like, seriously, God? And here I am. Hello? Am I the only one who's ever felt that way or thought those kind of things? thoughts? Come on, I know there's other people here who've thought the same thing. You can't help it. That's, the, that's the, the, the side of me that's going, this isn't fair. How can this be happening? That's Asaph. That's what he's saying here. He's, he's telling God, seriously, God, are you sure that, that you've got this right? Look at what's going on here. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have people who are living for God, who are serving God, who are doing everything, quote, right. And things seem to just fall apart. Just this spring, my daughter called me from, um, from New Zealand where she's been going to Bible school. And her best friend, she called me in tears. Her best friend, 19 years old, rushed into the hospital to have open heart surgery. And she died at 19, serving God passionately. Finished her second year of Bible school, was on her way to, to full-time ministry. Beautiful, wonderful girl. Gone. You think, how? How does this happen, God? And we get these questions all the time. How can we understand what God is doing in the midst of this, where good seems to be punished and where evil seems to be rewarded? And this is what Asaph is struggling with. This is what we struggle with. This is what you guys, all of us, we have stuff going on in our lives and we're going, where is God? Where are you, God, in this? How can this be happening? I just want to give you a bit of background on who Asaph was. Because he wasn't just some average run-of-the-mill guy who's, who's talking like this. He was the director of music for King David. He was the guy who wrote the musical scores that went with the, with the words that David wrote. He was part of the tribe of Levi, so he was a priest. He was a pastor. He was alive all throughout King David's reign, all throughout Solomon's reign and into the reign of Solomon's sons. So he lived a long time. He saw a great deal. He was so talented that David put him in charge of playing the music in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. So that was right in the Holy of Holies. He was in Jerusalem when God gave David the promise that out of David's lineage would come the Messiah who would then reign forever and rule forever. He saw Solomon get crowned as king, and he watched Solomon build the temple and become the wealthiest and wisest man that the world has ever known. He saw all of this stuff. And then he watched Solomon give in to temptation and fall into idolatry and wickedness. He saw Solomon die. 
and he saw Solomon's sons take over, and the kingdom get split in half, and the temple abandoned, and the Egyptians raid it and destroy it. So he saw from, from one end to the other. And you can imagine what his emotions were when he was writing this. All the hope and aspirations that he had for his nation, all the things that he saw, the promises that he saw, suddenly didn't come to anything. And it was from this place that he's writing all of these words. So this is where he is coming from when he says, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's thinking, how can all of this lead to this? And that's exactly what we struggle with when I say to you, you need to make God your secret place, your hiding place, your place of safety. Because you're saying, yeah, but God, this is going on in my life. All these promises that you gave me, all these things that I thought were going to happen, it looked like it was going so well, and then this happened. And you're struggling, and you're feeling these same emotions as Asaph was feeling. But then he says in verse 15, If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So he was thinking all of these thoughts. He's just writing down what he's thinking. Of course, he never knew we were going to be reading it at some point. But he's just putting it down on paper. He didn't actually say any of it to anyone. He was just thinking these thoughts because he was frustrated with what he was seeing happening. But he said, if I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. And let me just chase a rabbit for a minute here. For those of us who have a, a relationship with God and we're pursuing God, and especially those who are in any form of leadership within the church at all. Let me just encourage you. Bite your tongue when you're going through this kind of stuff. When you're wrestling with these kind of issues yourself. Because if you speak out in the presence of others, your frustration, your anger, the, your questioning of God, your doubts, you could absolutely turn the tide in their lives for the negative. You could make them go because you have, you have influence, you have a position, you have credibility in your workplace, wherever it is that you're speaking. People are looking at you, and when you speak, they're going to respond to what you have to say. Bite your tongue. Recognize that your words have influence and power, and know that the wisdom, the wise thing to do is to control yourself and not spit out how you're feeling in that moment that frustration. Asaph had the wisdom to know that. He wrote it down. He vented maybe one-on-one -on -one with God in his own private place. And he said, I'm not going to speak out to others. So I just want to exhort you to remember that. The next verse, he says, so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. And then I went into your sanctuary, O God. And finally, I understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. I just want to focus on that one part of verse 16. What? Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Finally, I understood when I entered the sanctuary of God. It's when you come into that secret place with him, 
It's when you make the decision to come into relationship and contact and intimacy with God that suddenly perspective comes. You take your eyes off your emotions. <laughs> you take your eyes off the stuff that's happening around you and you choose to enter into that place, that sanctuary with God where you let him then begin to order your emotions and give you the right perspective. Being seated with Christ, the Bible says, in the heavenlies, taking my place in him, suddenly I can see clearly. You get perspective. Look at this picture. I love this. Anybody recognize that? L'Arc de Triomphe in Paris? It's beautiful. So I look at that picture and I see there's a roadway that goes right underneath the arch. And if that's me and you, we're looking at this and we're seeing that's the way forward. That's the way I'm going. This is, this is the obstacles, if you wish, in my way. And I can only see one way through that obstacle. I can only see that. I can only see one way to deal with my my relationship problems. I can only see one way to deal with the temptation I'm facing or with the addictions that I'm facing or, or with the, the crises that's ahead of me. I can only see this God. And God is saying, come into my sanctuary. Let me give you perspective. Let me show you that I know what I'm doing. Come into this place of intimacy with me and I will show you the way through. Because this is what God sees. This is what God sees. That's the same Arc de Triomphe. But what does God see? He sees multitudes of pathways. He sees multitudes of things that could be happening in your circumstance. Roads that are dissecting and crossing over yours. Other relationships that are going to be happening or coming in your way. Other obstacles that, that he's trying to help you avoid. Other people that he wants you to meet with and intersect with or avoid. He sees everything. And all you're focused on is that one little thing in the middle. And God is saying, no, no, no. Come into me. Come into my presence. I know you think that this is a big issue. I know you think that this is an insurmountable thing you're facing. But come into my sanctuary. Because I've got a much better perspective on what's happening in your life. And I can order it for you. I can help you walk the right and find the right and choose the right way to go. So that you can work your way through this and come out the other side. We rely way too much on our emotions and we see everything through that filter. But you need to seek him. Seek him. Come into that secret place. Verse 21 and 22 says, as we keep reading, I realized then that my heart was bitter. I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, God. How patient he is with us. As we go through these frustrations. We blame God for the circumstances that we're facing. We blame God for the fact that it's not working out the way we want it to. We have these addictions and we seem to go back to them over and over again. And we blame God. Why isn't this changing? And he's saying, look, look, come into my presence. Let me help you through this. Stop trying to figure this out your way because you're going to be all bitter and torn up on the inside. You're trying to do this in your own strength, in your own power. And to God, we look like senseless animals. <laughs> because we're, we're running around like rats in a maze instead of allowing God to direct our paths. 
and to show us the way we need to go so that we can have success instead of repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again and being frustrated and blaming God for it. Verses 23 to 28, what happens? Still, I belong to you. In spite of the way that we choose to react to God, in spite of the fact that that we allow our circumstances to take us away from his presence, to blame him for what's going on, in spite of that, he says, you still belong to me. We're still his. That doesn't change anything. You, God, hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You lead me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him may perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. Asaph understood that we go through these processes where where we come under great pressure, and we have a choice. Are we going to run to God with it? Or are we going to fume and allow this to fester inside us and then spew off at the mouth and infect other people with the stuff we're going through? Or are we going to run into that sanctuary with him and allow him to give us perspective, allow him to show us the way through it so we can come out the other side? He's totally okay with your negative emotions. He's okay if you rant and rave and, and, talk and, and, and let him know how you're feeling about what you're going through. But in the end, this is where we want to be. We want to recognize that, that he is our place of safety, that he is the one that we can rely on to take us through. But it's only by developing this place of intimacy, of coming into that place of intimacy. Psalm 32, David, who worked with Asaph, says this, When I finally admitted my sin to you and stopped trying to hide, I said to myself, I'll confess him to the Lord, and you forgave me. My guilt is now all gone. You, Lord, are my hiding place from every storm of life. You even keep me from getting into trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. I will instruct you, says the Lord. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you, and I will watch your progress. This is what God says he'll do. In the midst of all the stuff that you think is so keeping you from God, he's saying, no, no. The reality is if you, if you make the decision today not to ignore what's happening, that's just foolishness. That it, you, you admit, you, you recognize stuff is going on, but focusing on this stuff isn't going to get you through it. Making the decision to step back and into the presence of God, that he is your hiding place from every storm of life. I know when you're going through it, you think it can't be that easy. It's not easy but it does work. When you choose to hide in God, he then does become this place of safety. He does enable you to take the steps to work through whatever it is you're going through. He is faithful. I will instruct you, he says. Just come to me and let me give you the instructions and I will guide you along the best pathway. Remember that photo of when he saw it from the top? 
you, you have to recognize that your life has so many paths that you can go on. Every decision that you make has ramifications. It's like a domino effect. And God is saying, look, I know you've got all sorts of things ahead of you. If you'll just come into me, I'll lead you in the pathway that you should take so that you don't have to go through these again. You don't have to experience these kind of stresses again. One of my favorite, well, my absolute favorite Psalms, Psalm 91, he says this. We live within the shadow of the Almighty. To be in the shadow of the Almighty means you're right up next, right up next to him. We're sheltered by the God who is above all gods. This, I declare, he alone is my refuge and my place of safety. He is my God, and I am trusting him. You might not see how you're going to get out of whatever it is that is, is pressing against you, whatever stress you are under, whatever pressure you're feeling. You might not know how God's going to get you out of it, but he is your place of safety, and he will lead you through it. You know, the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, God led them out. And he had a place for them to go that only took a couple of weeks for them to get there. But they were scared. God said, I will lead you. I will guide you. I will direct you. But they spent 40 years in the desert hiding from God, from what he had told them he had for them. They stayed in the desert experiencing over and over again the attitudes and the behaviors of slavery that they brought with them from Egypt. And Moses, at the very end of the book of Deuteronomy, says to them, you have a destiny. You have a destiny. And that means identity, which moves you from slavery into the promised land where you become a nation. You're no longer a people, you're now a nation. But you have to move from that place of fear and into that place of destiny in order to get that identity. I've often wondered what would have happened with Adam and Eve if in chapter 3 where, where they're hiding after they've eaten of the fruit and God says to them, Adam, why are you hiding from me? Why are you hiding from me? I've often wondered if instead of running and hiding from God, they had run to God. They messed up. And rather than owning it and coming before God and saying, this is what I'm going through. This is what I've done. I'm so sorry. They ran away. I wonder what would have happened if they'd run to him. Personally, I believe he would have forgiven them. But they didn't choose that, did they? They ran. It's a scary thing to run to God when you're choosing rebellion or when you're choosing to disobey or when you're choosing to give in to temptation. But tonight, I want to remind you that there is nothing better than being in that intimate place with him. There is nothing better than being in that hiding place with God and knowing that he will lead you in the way that you should go. And tonight, yeah, thanks. And tonight, as we enter into that last song, um, should, his, should this life hold nothing but my Savior, I will praise him always. I love that. I loved as we were singing that. 
Because the reality is that no matter what we're going through, no matter what stresses we're having, no matter what issues we're having to face, if you have Jesus, that's all. I know that sounds like just too simple, like a platitude, but it's not. If you have Jesus, if you have that relationship, that connection to the living God, you can get through whatever it is you're going through. Tonight, I know that... um, There are people here who are dealing with stuff. Stuff that has your heart breaking, that has you wondering, why am I even here, God? Why am I, why do I even still believe this stuff there? I'm just, it feels like I'm going through this over and over again and nothing seems to be changing. And I just want you to know that God is saying to you, and I felt this so strongly all this week as I was praying over this message. God is saying to you, I am your place of safety. Where are you hiding? Are you hiding from me? Come and hide in me. I don't hold anything against you. I'm not angry with you. I'm not angry with you. I love you with such a protective, all-encompassing love. Come hide in me. Don't hide from me. Let me be your hiding place. And I will help you walk through whatever challenges you're facing. Could you, the lights, could everybody stand up with me, please? All throughout um, the service this evening, as we were having our praise and worship time. There's no doubt, um, and I know everybody could feel it as well, that the presence of God, just and, and he's just so beautifully here. And I really, I just really believe that tonight, one of the things that, that God wants so much for you to, to just let him reveal to you is that he is a father whose arms are always open. No matter how you have defied him, no matter how much you've ignored him, no matter how much you've questioned him or doubted him or criticized him, he's got big shoulders. As far as he's concerned, Nothing has changed. You are his, and he has a place of safety for you. And he wants you to come in to that place of safety so that he can walk you through whatever it is that you've been struggling with, some of you for a very long time. I just want to pray for for you tonight. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that you understand our frustrations so well. You understand the the struggles that we have and the stuff that pushes against us. And we, we can't help sometimes the way that we react. But no matter what goes on, Father, we want always to look to you 
to make you our hiding place, that you are always the one we turn to, whether life is going well or not well. I want to pray for everyone that is here tonight, Father. I've brought them before your throne already this week, but Lord, I pray for each and every one of them here that they would be bold to go into that throne room, that they would see that their daddy, their heavenly father, has his arms wide open, that no matter what they're going through, that you have a place of safety for them and you have a way out. You have a way out. You have a way out. God is just saying that I have a way out. You're thinking right now there is no way out of this. And God is saying, yes, there is. I have a way of escape for you, but you have got to come to me. You have got to come to me. You've got to stop wandering around in the desert thinking somehow it's going to change. You have got to be brave enough to step over and in to me and into my presence. So, Father, I just pray for everyone here tonight, those in particular that are struggling with this idea of trusting you all the way. And I ask you to reach in tonight and help them, Holy Spirit, to take that step of obedience. Cover them, Father, with, with the knowledge of your presence, that they would trust you, Lord. 